I'm crying because I know God set me up <laughs> and I'm crying because I'm in pain, I'm hurting. And I stood there and um, they got it, us in line and um, this ex-Hell's angel guy <laughs> comes and starts praying for me. And as he lays hands on me, man, I felt electricity going through my body and I started to sway back and forth. And then I thought he put his hand on my chest and I thought he was pushing me. Well, first of all, this is the first time really a white man has ever laid hands on me to pray, <laughs> right? And then he's a, and I find out he's an ex-Hell's angel guy, you know, because they, they shared his testimony during service. And I was like, oh, heck no. So I was about to confront. I was like, you don't need to push me, man. I feel God, right? And when I open my eyes, he's three people down. And I said, oh, no, this is, this is it. Like, I'm done. This is it. And I remember weeping. I was like, oh no, you're real. You're trying, you're trying to, you're trying to, um, you're gonna use me. My family's Peruvian. Uh, my parents met here in Northern Virginia uh, at a Peruvian club, a salsa nightclub, and, and fell in love with each other. Uh, had me, and back then the immigration laws were if you had a child in the States, you could get your, your uh, citizenship. So, you know, I was born here, and uh, they stayed. And um, early in my life, you know, both of them were, you know, alcoholics and you know, we grew up Catholic and, you know, didn't really have any spiritual spirituality in our family uh, until we, we, we had a family that, that was part of our neighborhood that moved out. That was another Peruvian family. We were in a predominantly black neighborhood. And um, they, after a year, they came and, and got saved during that year that we didn't see them and invited us to come to Sunday school, went to a charismatic Baptist church. Uh, it was like the hotbed in Montgomery County of God moving. It was a real dynamic church. And um, in second grade, I led, you know, I asked Jesus into my heart. My Sunday school teacher led me. It was a pretty crucial time in my life as my parents were separated. And in service, when we were worshiping the Lord, I had a burden for my dad. I missed him. I asked the Lord, if you could, if you could uh, please give me my dad back, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll open my heart to you. And, and Kind of happened in reverse. Sunday school teacher came, laid hands on me, prayed, let me cry, asked me to receive Jesus. And right after service, my father came to church to repent to my mom and, you know, took us back home. So since second grade, I was, you know, going to church. We grew up Pentecostal. We went to an American church uh, for youth group for myself when I was a teenager. And then we went to the Pentecostal Foursquare Church in Gaithersburg. So Sundays I was in church from like 11 a.m. to like 7 p.m., man. I, you know, it was, that's just how it was. And, you know, we, we learned to do community at our church. And, you know, uh, and one time our pastor says, hey, listen, we're part of the Foursquare denomination. Foursquare has huge Christian summer camps 
in the summer. You know, uh, I really think Chris and some of the youth should go. And, you know, I was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go and give up a week of my summer to go to camp. And they were like, you know, it's in Ohio. And I'm like, where's Ohio? <laughs> you know, so it was like my first time ever getting in a car. And I remember driving for eight to nine hours. And I remember I was just like, this is terrible. Like being in a car, we're going somewhere. And then we go to this camp and the middle of the woods. I was a city slicker. You know, you put me any hood, I'll be fine. But you put me in the woods, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm scared of crickets. I'm like, I'm not... That's not my thing. So we go into this campground, and as our van is pulling up, we had a 17 or 15 passenger van. We pull up. Our youth group is mostly Latino and black kids, and you know, and we roll in. And I remember it was like 300 white kids at this camp, and I was like, "Yo, I've never seen this many white people in my life together." And as you can imagine, as we roll in, we look completely different than everybody else. So it's like. Everyone wanted to be our friends, but yet we were kind of like, all right, we just like, you know, we weren't really trusting of the atmosphere. So me and my buddy Max kind of stayed close, and and um and I had this um I had this guy. He was like a farmer in the Midwest, and just you know he he was definitely like what you would stereotype call like a redneck, and he was talking in this twang and following me around and just asking me questions, and I'm just like, who is this kid? And I remember he sat next to us, and we had to we had to climb up, and our campgrounds, our camp, our cabins were down low, but we had to go up the mountain to the tabernacle. They called it. That's where we had service every morning and every night. And we, uh, I remember, three hundred young people gathered there, you know, a little over three hundred. And I remember we were doing praise and worship, and the first note, the presence of God fell on all of us, and it was the most extraordinary, extraordinary thing I've ever saw. I saw it with adults. I never saw it with youth. Presence of God falls on us, and we instantly, everyone just got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they were speaking in tongues, some of them, but most of them were speaking in other language. And so my friend, this guy, this guy from the Midwest, this farm boy, starts speaking and telling Jesus how much he loves him in Spanish. And I start to hear it, and I'm like, oh, my God, I know he didn't take Spanish. And so you're around, and you're seeing kids cry, uh, get their hearts to the Lord, speaking in tongues. Some kids were on the ground falling, you know, and, and no one touched them. And it was just this weird, for me, it was weird but eye-opening. And I remember feeling the Lord just really start to deal with my heart. And I stood on my chair and I started to yell. I was 12 years old. I started to yell, yes, yes, Lord, yes. Whatever this is, yes. And I remember my best friend was like, get down, man. I couldn't stop yelling because I, I just, I felt like I want to see this my whole life. I don't know what this is, but I want to see this. So that happened at 12. You know, we were on fire. My, my dad came to the Lord after years of rejecting. And um, we were good until, like, my freshman year in high school. And um, my freshman year, my father fell away from the Lord, went back to alcohol, gambling, and, and uh, things got bad. My mom finally kicked him out of the house. And when my dad left the house, that's where I started to rebel against the Lord. I was very hurt and I was hurt by my father. I was hurt that he couldn't get over alcoholism. 
Uh, I was hurt. He, he gambled our house away. We had no money. You know, we were finally going from poor to mid-class, and you kind of go back to just being poor again, you know. And, and, and my father wasn't a bad man. He was actually very affectionate. He was, he was very, you know, fun to be with, you know, he, but he just had an, an addiction, right? And so I just fell away from the Lord. You know, I went from being an honor roll student to just barely graduating, you know, so he left my sophomore year, not my freshman year. And so for a year, I just kind of fell away from the Lord. And that's where I started to hang out with my crew. You know, these, you know, the, I wouldn't say we were a gang because it was nothing organized, but we were definitely a squad. You know, we, we definitely looked for trouble. <laughs> we definitely didn't let anyone talk down to us. And, and uh, I just started hanging out with these guys. And you do, and you do the some of the uh, illegal activity, but I never got high. I never got drunk. Even in all of this, I still remember, you know, like, you know, I wasn't gonna have sex. Um, I had a friend of mine who who died of AIDS back then. AIDS was a huge thing, and and um, and I remember thinking to myself, like, yo, everyone's having sex, and AIDS is going around. It's not a it's not just a gay disease. It's it's it can be trans. You know, heterosexuals can get it too. This my friend was a heterosexual kid. He was starting to have sex at eight years old. You know, so he got it from sex with females, and uh, I saw him wither away and die. And that kind of just shook me. It was like, yo, one sexual encounter can kill you. You know, besides what the what the church says, you know. And, and, and so I would have these deep conversations within myself. Plus, I had a mother that would remind me, you know, she knew I would be going to parties and stuff. And she'd just look at me and she, you know, she's an intercessor. She'd be like, you know, Chris, if you have sex, I'm going to lose you. So every weekend when I would be going out Friday, Saturday night, that's the last thing she'll say to me. Be safe. But just remember, if you have sex, I'll lose you. And it just kind of hit me all the time. And. And, and I just knew that I was like, yo, I'm not going to do this. But then, you know, what happens is during that year and a half that, you know, I fell away from the Lord, I'd still go to church every once in a while, but I knew not to get into it. I stopped going to my American church that had a youth group. I was offended with God. And um, after a year and a half, I fell into a depression, you know, and I just started to slowly see my my heart get calloused. And I started to see that nice Chris, loyal Chris, is getting mean, he's getting dark. He's not caring as much. He's cursing, he's, he's, aggress he's very aggressive. And, and, um, and I got depressed because it wasn't who I was. And I remember finally just saying, you know what, God, this all happened because you abandoned us. And I remember blaming the Lord and, uh, and um, and uh, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go get drunk and I'm going to go get high. And there's a girl begging to take my virginity. She was one of the girls in our crew that was just passed along. Like everybody slept with her. You know what I'm saying? She was just a good time. And she's begging because she wanted me to be her. You know, it was nothing other than she just wanted to take my virginity away and say she did that. And I remember just saying, you know, I'm going to have sex. Screw it. And that, that party was on a Sunday night said, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being depressed. At that time, I'm finding things that are trying to deal with the numbness and the pain of my childhood, of my, my parents' separation. So on the eve, Saturday night, on the eve, I get a phone call from my fourth grade Sunday school teacher. She's a fourth and fifth grade Sunday school teacher. 
and he actually was a youth leader also. So every time I, I went up a grade in church, he would come with us. And, you know, he, you know, he's telling me, Chris, you need to come to the American church that you left. I said, why? And he goes, well, the youth are experiencing a move of God. And I was like, what's a move of God? And he goes, Chris, the Holy Spirit is touching the young people. And it's crazy. They are transforming their lives. They're getting rid of drugs. They're get, get, their hearts are being, you know, there's breakthrough from depression, suicide. Um, they're, they're, they're not, they're withstanding from sex. They're, now, you know, they're, they're, they're not listening to secular music. They're not doing this. They're not gossiping. You know what I'm saying? And I remember just being there like, oh, okay, whatever. And for three hours, he was like, you got to come to church tomorrow. You have to see it for yourself. I said, no, nah, I'm not. I'm, 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 me and God are done. I'm ready. I'm ready to go to that party on Sunday night. I'm ready to indulge in the lifestyle. I'm going to fully commit to that, you know, because my boys were, became my family, right? And, um, and he talked to me. He goes, you know what, man? I'll take you to lunch afterwards. And I was like, man, for three hours, you've been begging me to go to church. You could have started off that way. We didn't have to waste my whole Saturday night. And... Uh, and so I said, okay, cool. And he goes, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get to church because there's two services. Now, this church, this church was about, at that time, running about 35, 4,500 people. So they had two services. Oh, no, sorry. No, no, no. It was running about 2,500. So there was two services. He says, come to the end of the first service so you can hear the preaching. And then after the preaching, there's 30-minute break from first service to second service because they have to clear the parking lot. And then the second service families come. And that's important for you to know that. <laughs> and I, I said, okay. And then, after, then you stay for worship in the second service. Afterwards, you can go to youth group because youth group only happens after worship in the second service. I said, all right, man, I'll do it. And I remember coming into the building, and it was electric. There was like... It, I just remember automatically my stomach started to just bubble. Like I was like, oh, oh, God's here. I know what this is because at 12 years old, I experienced this. Um, throughout my life, I experienced, I was like, oh, crap. God's up to something. You know, Jehovah Sneaky, right? He's like, he's trying to, and I was like, nah, I'm ready to have sex. I'm ready to get drunk and I'm ready to get high. I don't, I don't need this. I need to think about the party tonight. And as I do that, I turn the corner to go to the hallway. I said, I'm going to sit in the balcony. Forget that. I see a friend, well, you know, a friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine. And he's, he's like, oh, my God, Chris Petrot. And he just starts weeping. God's going to touch you today. He's going to touch you. We called your name out two weeks ago in youth group. He's going to touch you. It's going to happen today. And he's like weeping. And I'm like, what the heck is wrong with this guy? Like, I'm like, we were close, but... We were like, we weren't that, I mean, we weren't, we weren't close at all. We were just friends, but he was just looking at me like that, right? And then the, the popular girls came. They're like, oh my God, Chris, you're here. Mind you, they didn't care about me, say anything about me when I was part of the youth group because they were like the popular ones and, you know, whatever. But they were like genuinely like, you're here. We're so happy. We prayed for you. God's going to touch you. And I got weirded out, man. I was like, and plus what I was already feeling, I went upstairs to the balcony. I just stood there and the preacher was preaching a word. And I don't know what his word was, but all I could tell you is when he opened the altar to do the benediction prayer, you know, he, he prayed for the end of service and he opened the altars for prayer. 
it looked like 500 people got up and they ran to the altar. Like it was intense. Like he was, he could, my man was preaching and I felt like I was going to vomit. I was like, oh God, like I, I can't go up. No, 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 I'm not doing this. And so at this point, it's like 1035. So they have to clear out the church <laughs> because 11 o'clock's coming. You need, you know, the people to come, uh, the new people to come to service and have a parking spot. And it's 1040. And he goes, you know what, guys? I, I feel like God like is about needs like one of you guys need to respond. You're playing games with God. You're depressed. You're hurt. He and he, I mean, he was even like, you're going to do stupid stuff in the next 24 hours if you don't get with God. And I remember I was like, is that me? And then like 12 people got up and they ran to the front. And I was like, thank God it was them. And then he looked at them five minutes later. He goes, it wasn't these people that came up. You're still fighting. And I was like, oh my God, end the service. I do not want to go up. And like, I, then I remember just saying to the Lord, Lord, I, and then one person got up and ran. I was like, Lord, if he calls it one more time after this one person gets up, if he says it's not that person, and he calls to come for that person to come up, I know it's me and I'll run up. Sure enough, he looked at that person, he goes, you're not it. Come up though, get blessed. There was one person, as soon as I heard that, something came in me, I got up, ran down the hallway, ran down the stairs, ran in the sanctuary, and I go to the front of the church and I'm crying and I'm angry. I'm crying because I know God set me up <laughs> and I'm crying because I'm in pain, I'm hurting. And I stood there and um, they got in, us in line and um, this ex-Hell's angel guy <laughs> comes and starts praying for me. And as he lays hands on me, man, I felt electricity going through my body and I started to sway back and forth. And then I thought he put his hand on my chest and I thought he was pushing me. Well, first of all, this is the first time really a white man has ever laid hands on me to pray, <laughs> right? And then he's, a, and I find out he's an ex-Hell's angel guy, you know, because they, they shared his testimony during service. And I was like, oh, heck no. So I was about to confront him. I was like, you don't need to push me, man. I feel God, right? And when I open my eyes, he's three people down. And I said, oh, no, this is, this is it. Like, I'm done. This is it. And I remember weeping. I was like, oh, no, you're real. You're trying, you're trying to, you're trying to, um, you're going to use me. I started to cry. And um, I said, Lord, if, if you touch my life right now, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And so the story is I closed my eyes and Holy Spirit, no one touching me, touched my heart. And the story is I flew six feet back and I crushed like the front row chairs where the pastors sit. And I was out. I was out. Wait, 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 wait. You've like. You... I flew back, man. Wow. It was one of these services and, and where like genuinely I flew back. I didn't get hurt or anything, but they didn't catch me. I flew back. I'm out here. So I'm laying like this and I start to feel this sensation in my, in my body from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I start to feel rushing cold water washing me out and I'm weeping uncontrollably, like snot, like I'm getting a migraine. I'm like the tears, just the floodgates go and I'm weeping and I'm weeping and I hear the audible voice of the Lord for the first time. And he says, Chris, what do you want? 
I said, Lord, I want my mom and dad to get back together. And I want all my street friends to know you. And I got up and, <laughs> and I went to church six times a week because I was nervous. No one discipled me and I was scared I was going to lose this. So I went to like end times Bible study. I went to prayer nights. I went to women's Bible study. I went to Friday night service, Wednesday night service, uh, the class on Acts, you know, uh, Titus, you know, prayer group. I, I did everything because I wanted to pursue God. At that point, the depression and all that left. And I needed to go after this whole thing um, of praying for my mom and dad to get back. I believed that God was supernatural that way. And it was so funny because I disappeared from my neighborhood. Everyone thought I got arrested and went to jail, my, my street friends, because I just, I just broke all communications, didn't answer. the. We had pagers back then. None of that. And I remember praying to the Lord, Lord, um, I need friends. And that guy, Mike, who cried and saw me uh, ended up being my big brother in the Lord. Actually, I'm older than him, but he was he's just a big guy. And he and I formed a friendship. We started to serve the youth, and I was a youth leader for about eight to ten years. And all that to say, I just fell in love with the Holy Spirit. It was real. I went from being, you know, I was dyslexic. I had a stuttering problem. I had... Um, uh, dysgraphia, ADHD, uh, you know, I had all these learning disabilities. But when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I would read the Bible. And the Bible was the first book I understood what I was reading. And, and within a year, I read the Bible. And that was the first book I ever read in my life. You know, and as I started to read, I started to spend five hours with the Lord because, you know, I wasn't doing, you know, I wasn't running with the crew. I didn't have a job. And so I'd be praying, reading my Bible, you know, you know, praying for my family, praying for my dad. And I just spent like five hours, seven hours sometimes just reading, just praying every day. And every day I had to call my accountability partner, Mike, and we would have to tell each other, well, what's God doing? What's he doing here? What's going on here? And since he could drive, he used to drive me to church because church was like 45 minutes away. And all of a sudden, we, you know, we were just going after the presence of the Lord. And, you know, all that to just say, as I started to serve these youth pastors, uh, one of the weird things our church did, and I never understood it, is after the young people, I mean, we, we were genuinely on fire for God. We were going out evangelizing on Halloween night at Georgetown. You know, my wife led a prostitute. Well, she, she was my friend at that time. But she led a prostitute to the Lord right in front of the exorcist stairs. You know, we were just doing, we were just like, we're going to go for it. We, there was this zeal, zealousness, you know, I, I you know, and, um, but our church, the next youth pastor, our youth pastor leaves to go get a senior position at another church in Tennessee. And our church hires, uh, <laughs> hires a guy that doesn't believe in the gifts, and it kind of quenched it, even though he really loved the youth. It kind of quenched that whole thing. And our youth group went from being on fire for God. A year later, like five to seven girls got pregnant. <laughs> you know, it was just there wasn't that real mentorship in the presence of God. 
Uh, and so I served this guy. I love this guy. You know, we I battled this guy all the time, trying to get back to his presence. And, you know, I was a little arrogant guy, you know, hard to deal with. Um, but I loved his presence. I'm, to me, it was like, we got to go for his presence. That's it. It's everything right there, you know. I read the Bible, guys. I'm in love with my Bible because the Holy Spirit possessed me, you know. And so all that to just say, as we're starting to move ahead, you know, for, you know, he resigns and then they invite another guy and he's like a five point Calvinist. And you're just kind of like, what are we doing? Are we a spirit filled expression or what? But you know what? It, it taught me. It taught me how to honor leaders that I necessarily didn't agree with, you know, or vehemently didn't agree with. I had to learn to honor. And that was that would be a, a staple in whatever I was going to do. So after those two guys, um, I, I, you know, after this guy, I, I, I got bitter with God. And I was like, man, I'm tired of going after revival. I'm tired of, you know, all this, you know. And, um, you know, I started dating my wife and, and, uh, and we courted. And we were about to get married. <laughs> and my friends, Mike and a bunch of my friends, they throw us a surprise engagement party like a month after we got engaged. And I was like, I just remember just walking in a room and I see my whole church family, and I see my dad and my mom. And I'm like, everyone's like, surprise. And I'm like, why are you surprised? I was like, dad? I'm like, what are you doing? Like, it was so weird to see your, my father with my church family. That night, my parents fell back in love after 18 years of divorce. And, you know, 12 years ago, I walked my mom down the aisle and she remarried my father. And, you know, which taught me that you could get divorced here, but that's not the last call, you know, you know, that, you know, God's not a respecter of man. And, and, and so he redeemed my family. So remember, he said, what do you want? When I was filled with the Holy Spirit, my dad's back. And then he's then in the last 10 years from the time I got up that floor, we led all my friends from the street to the Lord. And I actually youth pastored a lot of their kids. And so I started to see that, one, God answers prayers. God is powerful, right? And, 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 and that we are to establish that authority here on earth as it is in heaven. I started to get with like-minded people like that. And, and again, you know, we, we, we you know, I, I, so fast forward or rewind back to I'm serving these guys, I'm, uh, you know, these youth pastors, I finally give up on youth ministry because I'm going after revival. I don't see it anymore. I get offended with God. And so two things happen. I start working security at the church because <laughs> I had a full-time job. I was working in Langley Park. I was mentoring inner city kids. I was, you know, I actually felt like I was their pastor. So I was like, this is my church. This is my sanctuary. The hood is my sanctuary. And I had mentored 50 of the worst drug dealers in Langley Park. They respected me. I was the safest guy. My, my car, no one touched my car. No one broke into it. I could go anywhere in Langley Park. And if beef was there, it would subside because I was a guy that was helping these guys get jobs, uh, social, uh, I mean, what do you call it, uh, service hours for, you know, for, for court and all that other stuff. And um, so I thought that was it. Well, this woman who was a prophet in our church comes up to me and she goes, Chris, this time next year, you're going to be the next youth pastor. 
And I laughed. I was like, I ain't coming to work in here, man. You know, and you know, all this bitterness. Like, look what they did to the move of God. This church says they want revival. You know, I'm being young, dumb, and, and you know, I'm just, you know, and she's like, no, God told me. So I'm like, whatever. Then my father-in-law, so, so at this point, my wife's pregnant, six months pregnant. If we didn't have a boy, the Petrot last name would die. So we're six months pregnant. And when we got pregnant, I told my wife, I was like, Beth, what about Josiah? Josiah built, means builder of new things and keeper of the flame. If you know the story of Josiah in the Bible, eight years old becomes a king of Israel. And as a teenager in his reign, he tears down all the strongholds, all the high places of idol worship. He's a builder of new things. My family was we were breaking generational curses, and now Josiah and all this from this point on, we're going to be living in generational blessing. So we know that we were going to call him Josiah. We found out it was a boy. We were like, yes. <laughs> and I'm still disheartened with church. And my father-in-law invites me to a conference in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I go to this conference. It's called Firestorm. And there was... <laughs> There was, there, you know, there was a speaker on a Friday night. As soon as I walk into the church, I feel like a fish out of water. I felt like I didn't belong there. I'm wearing like $500 Jordans. I'm streeting it. You know, I look like a street cat, you know, and I go in. And the church is primarily, it's primarily white, right? And, and it's cool because they got smoke machines coming out of the, the sanctuary. They had the lights. They had the screens with the worship lyrics on it. And if they sung about the river of God, well, they'll be showing a movie of this, 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 this group of people, whitewater rafting, right? And it was just like, it was like ADHD heaven, right? Because I was just like, what the heck is going on here? But I remember feeling like I don't, I, I believe the lie of the devil. I don't belong here. And the speaker was a crazy guy who I'm now, he's very, uh, he's very flamboyant. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I, I know him now, but, and he was just doing crazy stuff. Like people were getting drunk with the Holy Ghost and, and, you know, he would take their socks off and start doing this, right? And just throw their shoes out. He would, you know, he'd cackle and laugh. And, and I was like, what is this? This is so weird. And then I felt like he was trying to pray for me, but I would go to the one end of the church because I was like, yo, you can't throw my sneakers out. Like, like them jokers are going to get jacked. And, uh, and he would follow me and I, I, and I would leave him and I'd go to the other side. I was like, man, this joker's following me. Needless to say, that night I was heartbroken. I was like, is this really a revival? Uh, and, and, and to a degree it was. There was an outpouring happening, but I was just very critical because it didn't look like me. And I remember just being heavy-hearted, and my father-in-law says, hey, Chris, I know it was hard for you, you know. I just ask you this. Stay the night. Tomorrow morning, come to see, hear this one guy preach. And um, if you don't like it, then we'll just go home. And I was like, well, yeah, I'll stay. You know, he, they, you know, they paid like almost 100 bucks for us to go. So I was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to respect my in-laws. So that morning I get up and I go with Bethany and my in-laws to this, to this morning session of this conference. And um, there's a man by the name of Lou Engel who's speaking. And all I know is that when he opened his mouth, everything inside of me shook. And I just started to weep. 
and he was talking about uh, the abortion issue and what God placed on his heart about overturning that. And he, you know, he was talking about revival and he was talking about all these things. And I remember just my heart leapt and I was like, yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah, we, we need to do, we need to, there's something on that. And I, I dedicate, you know, my life, I'm like, I'm gonna dedicate my life to follow this guy. And I just remember just like seriously just being impacted. And as I was weeping, you know, and I'm just at, and at that point I was like, God forgive me of my racist heart. God forgive me of these things. I was bitter, I was upset, and I'm getting my heart right, I'm crying. And then Lou Angle goes, you know what this generation needs? It needs the Josiahs to come forth. And at that time, I fell out of my seat just weeping, knowing that my wife was six months pregnant with Josiah. And I did. I, that, that was my introduction until revival culture. And I followed Lou and, and everything he did. Um, and I, you know, prayed for the ending of abortion. Uh, you know, I went, I went to those extremes because I was so alive in it. But then I started to realize that the abortion issue is a racist issue. And God started to show me that it was a way to take out the, Latin, the black and Latino voice in this nation. And I started to go after racism. And I was like, Lord, how can I go after racism? And I opened, I, and I said, you know what we need? Racism is a heart issue. We need to stop talking about it, and we need to just get in the same room and experience God. And the Lord will do it. And so, so I said, you know what? I'm going to start a ministry. And I started to go into a season of having these dreams where there would be a lion and he'd be roaring in my face. And it happened like three or four times. And then my friends that I would invite to preach at our youth services would be preaching and all of a sudden they turn around and be like, uh, Pastor Chris, the Lord says you're gonna raise an army of 10,000. He's roaring over you. And I was like, what the heck is this? I was at an all night prayer thing and the last vision I had was a lion came up to me roared in my face, and 10,000 young people got up behind me. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to start the ministry, The Roar, Regional Outpouring Awakening Reformation. We're going to gather, we're going to experience the kingdom of God, but then we're going to reform culture. And I think sometimes the church gets stuck on just revival and encounter. We don't get going past that to reforming culture. And as I was praying... Uh, we launched a, uh, eight and a half years ago. We launched the Roar. It was a it was a Saturday night service. It was regional, and young people would come. Uh, that's where I met uh, Prophet Jordan Bryce. You know, and, and we're experiencing God, and God's touching our worship. You know, it's just amazing time. And then I said, you know what? Five years ago, let's let's do a camp. And so the camp that I had in my heart was what I experienced as a twelve year old kid. But I said. With this camp, let's raise money to make sure any inner city kids, because at that time I'm preaching in New Jersey, Connecticut, New York City, Washington, D.C., let's make it so that these kids from the inner city can go. And that's what we did. We did camps. Uh, and God showed up. 
and some of the most extraordinary testimonies of these kids in our ministry. Um, some of them ch changed my belief system on angels. <laughs> um, we had a camp where 95% of the camp, which is about 120 kids, all went to heaven. <laughs> yeah, uh, they could see angels. Uh, we had um, we had a camp where we were the year before camp we were going after mental illness, uh, and people were getting healed of bipolar, schizophrenia, suicide, depression, you know. And these are mostly all Latino and black kids. And I started to realize that you know what we I need to build a bridge to our church national movement and start letting these kids know that hey you have a voice in that too. And we, we, we just, it just, things just started to blow up there. And the Lord has given me a vision for 10,000 harvesters in 10 cities to go after a million souls. I don't know how that's going to work, but that's what's been in my spirit. And that's what I've been praying for. I do know that I'm not using social media <laughs> to be a platform for this because I believe God's going to do it on his own. And so we're kind of just organizing it. So I went from a broken kid with a broken family, seeing restoration in my family, see, and seeing myself be able to influence broken kids and giving them a way out. What I feel like God's called me to do is to provide that experience I had at a 12-year-old for all these kids. And as we're raising you know, four kids of our own, we have three that are teenage boys. Our, my last one's 11. She's a, my diva, Bella. And um, we're raising revivalists. And so we're, we're kind of like, we're going to look forward to raising them as children. We're going to invite them into, in, uh, you know, into the table and encounter. And we're going to not fret when they're teenagers. And we're going to raise them and, and, and enjoy that. You know, I think a lot of times we as parents speak De you know, death to kids. Oh my God, I have a female teenager to pray for me. I feel like that is, that is giving the enemy an outcome and not God an outcome when God created them to go through these things. But a lot of it is, are we as parents willing to do work to have that connection with our kids? And so I have, my oldest is a, is a, all my kids are special. They love Jesus. And my oldest uh, at five years old, started to have crazy encounters with God. And I'll share one testimony, but uh, we, uh, we um, I, what I would do in youth ministry is I would partner with my spiritual father, who I call him, he's like a glory equipper. <laughs> you know, he just, you know, he, he could just teach on the Holy Spirit and the glory like no other. And we would rent a huge beach house in the Outer Banks. And what we would do is we would take 30 kids of our youth group, and we would call it Holy Ghost Week, where in the mornings we'd biblically teach them what the Bible says about our belief in the Holy Spirit and why it's important. And in the evening, in the house, we would have worship, and they would, you know, we would encounter what we read in the morning. And there was crazy stuff happening, healings, you know, kids getting on fire for the Lord. Well, one year, we needed to rent two big beach houses because uh, it was just too big. And we actually had a worship team this year that was de being developed. And so we were like, hey, why don't we call around and, and see if there's like some 
church that would give us their youth building on night, you know, on the nights, you know, so we could have service there. And so we did. We called the church and we called an Assemblies of God church and the youth pastor was new. And he said, man, listen, of course, thanks for calling. You could use it Monday, Tuesday, but Wednesday, can you preach and could your team do worship for our youth? I said, uh, sure, no problem. So that Wednesday night we go and we're just sound checking and we're getting the room prepared and two of my spiritual sons find diamonds in the ground er, and jewels. I was like, what the heck? And so they gave it to me and I was like, well, they look real. I don't know if they're real. And I called the youth pastor and I was like, hey, we, we just found like two rubies and two diamonds on the floor. You know, we're just, you know, don't know if it's, he's like, hey, man, I just vacuumed that the other night. That's, that's not ours. That, like, that, that might be God. And I was like, what? And uh, so I was kind of weirded out. I didn't think anything of it. And I remember afterwards, we're going to take this to a jeweler. Uh, and, uh, and, um, and then all of a sudden, the room started to get foggy. And I was like, well, where's the smoke machine? You know, there was no smoke machine. It's like the presence of the Lord as we were praying and sound checking already started to fall. Well, time comes for the kids to be dropped off by their parents and they're getting out of the car and they're falling out in the Holy Ghost. So we had to run out and start dragging the kids in. And then the parents were like, well, if God's here, we're not leaving. So the youth room is packed with parents and kids. And I'm like, God... I'm like, what's going on? What are you doing? So all of a sudden, presence of God starts with the worship, and I see a young lady with a cast from her hip all the way to her foot. And she's depressed, and she's got crutches, and you could just tell that she's in a lot of pain. And so my spiritual son goes, hey, I want to go pray for her. And I was like, I'll go with you. And we're so we ask her, you know, it's, it's kind of loud. We're like, what happened? And she goes, well... Um, I'm, I'm a soccer player. It's my senior year. And after practice, I got hit by a car and it broke two bones in my leg. Doctor said I can never play sports again. I have a rod from my hip all the way to my foot. And she started to touch where the bolts and nuts and bolts were. And I remember just praying. I said, like, well, can we pray for you? We believe God can heal you. And I'm, you know, I have no faith in my prayer, right? So I remember just leading, laying hands and Sean is praying and he's going after it. And I promise you, I start to feel heat come out of my hands. This is the first time this happened. And I was like, my God, my hand's on fire. And I started to feel her nuts and bolts dissolve. And as it starts to dissolve, she starts to yell. Ah, and I'm like, oh my God, we just hurt her. What is going on? And she's like jumping up and down. She's like, my leg is on fire. And she rips the cast off and she starts being able to bend. She got completely healed. And it was like, I was like, holy cow, what is going on? So I call my wife and I was like, Beth, I got to tell you something. She goes, no, I got to tell you something. And I was like, oh, okay, ladies first, right? And she goes, listen, Josiah was in his playroom watching Little Einstein. He turned it off and he went to the living room and sat, in the, sat on the chair. I go, okay. So I'm cooking dinner and 15 minutes later he comes up to me and he tells me Jesus told him to turn off Little Einstein and go to the sofa because he was going to take him to heaven. And I said, well, 
what did Josiah see? That's what my wife asked him. So what did you see when you were in heaven? She goes, mommy, mommy, I saw dad and uncle Sean and they were taking a stick out of a girl's leg. <laughs> and I was like, and then my wife goes, well, what did you want to tell me? And I was like, Oh, man, you just stole my thunder. I was exactly what I was going to tell you. So we're having these types of encounters in our home. And I start to realize that the most crucial thing on earth is family. And that if we can make our living room a living room with the Holy Spirit, that we could start to encounter God, not only in church, not only in revival conferences, but at home where it's supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? And, and so that's what my, I gave my heart. So when I resigned from youth ministry, my wife and I wanted to be family ministers because now we want to teach parents how to disciple your young person in the Holy Spirit. And that's my testimony. From a broken home to seeing God redeem it and God use it, so now I, I get it. God sent his only son to an orphan planet to reveal the father. And it's all about family. And that's it. If you could um, encapsulate what Jesus has done in your life, mm -hmm. what can you say he has done in your life? Well, he has, he's healed my body. I was born with bad kidneys. So I have physical healing. Uh, my kidneys are amazing. Um, he has delivered me from depression um, and and anxiety. You know, he has he has made he's healed my mind. My mind renewed isn't just a thought or that I that I caught. My mind being renewed is he healed my ADHD. He let me understand what I'm reading, and and he showed me that he was always there. And I, and and and. And, and, and there are times, you know, I could see myself where I'm confident in the thing of God, the things of God, you know, I'm confident in what he's done in my life. Um, and a lot of that has come from the way the Lord has loved me. He's allowed me to learn from mistakes. I feel like we try to have church with no mistakes. Then we, do, we have a church that won't be wise because if you learn from your mistakes, it's wisdom, <laughs> And so I was able to learn that how much he loved me just the way I am. He didn't want me to change for anything, <laughs> you know? And, and, and that's what the Lord has done for me, but he's given me purpose and vision, and he's partnered with me the whole way.